Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong. Radiant. Timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. I don't know if you guys have noticed on the Zoom calls, but what I'm actually doing for some reason, I've got this habit now. Let me lean back so you can see what I'm doing. When, when I'm when I'm interviewing the show, I'm going like this, like I'm I'm dabbing for some You're reason. Dabbing. I don't know why, uh, but I I hope that <laughs> I hope you guys are okay with it. That's our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. I'm Ben. Uh, that, Noel Brown, thank you for approving of my dab. More Ovaltine, please. <laughs> You're that's, actually that's, drinking Ovaltine. I'm flagging, bro. I need pep, man. <laughs> it's actually not Ovaltine. It's adult Ovaltine. It's iced coffee. Um, oh, okay. With, uh, I'm drinking. I'm drinking iced coffee as well. Uh, you know what would be I, good, though? Ovaltine and iced coffee. Make it like yeah. a mocha. Yeah, a malted iced coffee. You know what? I think you're on to something, my friend, and that is a perfect segue to our continuing conversation. This is part two of the sinister influence of little orphan Annie. And we've already learned some weird stuff. I don't know if, you know, this radio show was before our time. Uh, I don't know if the modern world is aware of just like how corporate that show was the radio show. Uh, mm -hmm. We're going to learn a little bit about that, right? Yeah, especially considering it's like highly controversial political roots as a comic <laughs> strip. Uh, and then also some of that bled into the, the radio show, too. Very, very odd dichotomy. And by the way, it was something we didn't mention in the episode, and I think we buried the lead here. I had forgotten until I was looking up some images from the comic strip that like all of the characters have these weird, soulless, vacant button eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what's that almost? about? Well, it's, it could be um, just a stylistic choice, but also I, I'm wondering if maybe it was something that was just cleaner when it was a comic strip, but those eyes are off-putting, right? Maybe it would be too busy or too much ink, too much detail, but that doesn't make sense because you have other comics like Dagwood that uh, don't have a problem 
with uh, having normal eyes. Yeah, it's definitely a stylistic choice, but it's a super odd one because when I look at them, I just see just nothingness staring back at me, especially this one cover of one of the collections of all of the Little Orphan Annie comics or one of many because there were probably hundreds and hundreds of them. It's got Annie and her dog Sandy, uh, both with these kind of really rictus kind of creepy grins and just staring at you through these vacant white eyes. Creepy stuff. Uh, and we're going to get into some more creepy stuff in terms of like advertising and targeting kids and also the super sinister, bizarro world that Little Orphan Annie occupy that potentially could have caused some uh, some wrinkles in the the uh, daily lives of the youth of the 1930s. Yeah, yeah. And uh, light spoilers here, uh, perhaps most importantly, we'll be exploring how similar conversations continue in the modern day. So without further ado, uh, we we proudly present or hopefully endearingly present part two of the sinister influence of Little Orphan Annie. One of the big themes about Annie as a character is that she is self-reliant. The creator himself said that she lives in a vaguely sinister world without comfort. She's controversial, but she's tougher than hell. And she has a heart, like you said, Nola, a heart of gold, a fast left. And she takes care of herself because she has to. The radio series did cut some of the, or it sanded down some of the comic strips, more sharp tones. Like it dropped the super anti-Roosevelt politics. Uh, At times the strip reads as just a way for this guy to let everyone know through the power of cartoons that he hates FDR. Uh, But they kept the idea of danger. The episodes end in cliffhangers and the cliffhangers are a big reason kids tuned in for the next episodes. They're also the reason parents didn't like this. They didn't like their kid thinking um, like there was one episode where Annie is kidnapped at the end of the show and parents were ticked off at this. They were calling in. They were like, you guys are being real pills. My kid is going to spend the next, the next who knows how long freaking out trying to figure out what happens to Annie if she survives, because in these kids' imaginations, in their minds, for many of them, Annie is a real person. I was saying, I was thinking the same thing, Ben. Yeah. Like, with this being so new, it's almost like it would be hard for them to differentiate between or even understand the nature of fiction. Like, it's to them, it's so real that they would, you know, honestly respond with real emotion and real attachment. And they would wonder about their friend, Annie, and if she was going to be okay, you know, all this time leading up to the next episode, which surely would distract them in their thinking from school, you know? And it happens. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. That Like, I love that you said that because that gets us to a valid point. Parents have legit concerns now. Like this, their friend has gone missing. They're going to suck at their math homework for a while. And it's your fault. They're like traumatized. Yeah. And it happens today with, um, you know, I, to go back to a Game of Thrones example. I can't believe this is appropriate again, but the inability of audiences to distinguish fact from fiction remains with us. Uh, for an example, one need look no further than the unfortunate and very talented actor who played King Joffrey in Game of Thrones. People Mm -hmm. hated the actor. 
and like who was a child, by the way, at the time and would say terrible things about him and to him. And now he quit acting. Uh, What's his what's his name? Oh, it's something Gleason. He has a very old man kind of name. I think it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, was, I wasn't too far off. It's, it's literally Jackie Gleason. Well, not Jackie, but Jack. He's a very old man name. Uh, it goes along with the period that we're talking about. But you're right. I mean, he quit acting and I think went into like philanthropy or something because he was just sick of getting dragged on the Internet because people had a hard time separating the uh, art from the artist. Yeah, yeah. And Max, you said you have another example? Yeah, I do. Um, Obviously, you guys know who Malcolm McDowell is, right? Sure. Obviously, very famous from A Clockwork Orange, but he was in Star Trek Generations as the villain. Mm -hmm. And he is just hated by Star Trek community because he is, spoiler right here, the guy who killed Captain Kirk. Uh, People cannot discern the fact that he is not that guy and he didn't kill William Shatner. But they're like, no, you killed Kirk. You are a terrible person, Malcolm McDowell. No, no, no. William Shatner's fine. He went to space with uh, Jeff Bezos, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He did a cover of Rocket Man. He sure did. He made a film in Esperanto, I think, as well. He did. Um, He loves Esperanto. Esperanto. infamous. Yeah, it's 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 infamously bad, but also, you know, an infamously big swing. Esperanto being (laughs) what? Kind of like like a... An invented language, right, Ben? Yes. Yeah, it is a manufactured language with the idea of becoming a global one world language. We could do an episode on one world languages if that's interesting to anybody. So far, the majority other than math have failed at one point or another. Language continues to kind of, I don't want to say balkanize, but speciate in a way. That's why uh, so many different versions of English exist. I have a very good friend of mine um, who you may have met briefly, Noel. He's He's an author, a wonderful author named Tim Westover. And I'm sure he's fine with me saying saying his name on the air. Uh, Tim is, in addition to his many, many accolades, he is a polyglot and he's the kind of guy who studied Esperanto for fun. So I asked him about the Shatner movie. He's like vice president of Esperanto Publishing in America or something. And I asked him about the Esperanto uh, movie that Shatner was in. And he immediately told me it's like a cult classic in the Esperanto community because the pronunciation is that bad. Oh, wow. I don't know how we got on this tangent, but it's uh, but hopefully it's a worthwhile one. I, I, yeah, I sure we should do it. Okay, awesome. Game of, Th- Game of Thrones to Esperanto. That's yes, and and to Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> so so like uh, because everybody was very close to this show, in part because parents were concerned and their children may not understand that Annie is a fictional character. The writers eventually had a list of what they called the mustn'ts which were things that could not happen in the plot of any episode. So Annie can't be kidnapped, right? Annie can't be, you can find the list online, but it's pretty interesting. And why did they do this? Uh, We know the comic strip author was out there to propagate his own political viewpoints. Mm -hmm. But when this moved to radio, it's a new era, baby. We got money coming in the door. Totally. And we also know that um, Gray, the the, uh, the author of the comic strip, Harold Gray, um, there are plenty of instances where the syndicated, you know, printings of the comic strip were pulled due to complaints. Yeah. So, you know, th- but he was maybe a little less concerned with that. I don't know that he was like, necess- I don't know how the syndication pay worked, but uh, he didn't seem too concerned. But now we've got a centralized production that's going Going out over the wire and that's sponsored by a marketing megalith in Ovaltine. 
tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Back to Christmas story. You'll remember that uh, that plays a huge part of the whole Ovaltine thing. And there were literal, you know, kind of tie-ins, you know, with um, little little things, you little prizes you could win. Similar to the old man's uh, major award that I believe he won from some some other kind of like, you know, sweepstakes for adults. But um, Ralphie was just absolutely obsessed with getting this Little Orphan Annie decoder ring. So you get the decoder ring and then you listen along. And then in an advertisement that's disguised as like this stirring moment, he turns the dials while he's in the bathroom uh, on his decoder ring, only to realize that the message that it spells out is drink more Ovaltine. Um, dun, dun, dun. It, dun, 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 indeed. He felt betrayed. He was so mm-hmm. upset. He was absolutely, understandably, because, you know, he had to power through tons of advertisements just to even get the thing that ultimately became an advertisement in and of itself. Yeah, and he, not just the, not just the advertisements he had to power through, he had to physically power through Ovaltine. That's right. Because had, you had to send in the box tops, That's right? So imagine. Right. The physical toll. Oh. That's no 
being on Ovaltine, it's not like bad for you. It's a malted drink mix. For it, well, and it has like vitamins and minerals and stuff. And it's still widely available. It's quite delicious. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of Ovaltine. Yes, yeah, not bad. Um, you know, what's funny though, not to, not to get on another yeah. tangent, but just a really quick one. There is a lot uh, in common uh, between the early days of radio and like the single advertiser that requires what's called direct response advertisement. Yeah. Like where you have yeah, to yeah. send in your box top or your code or whatever to where we are in podcasting or at least the very beginnings of podcasting. Because podcasting in the early days, there were like a handful of advertisers, all of whom required you to enter some kind of code to get a prize, to get a discount, to get something. So it really is kind of like media going full circle in an interesting way. Yeah. Yeah. No, let's stay on this tangent for a while because it's it's pretty interesting. It happened when Hulu came out, too. There would be a very there'd be relatively little diversity in the world of advertisers. Right. Like uh, in the world of podcasting, you know, there was a time where if you heard a commercial on a podcast, there was a high chance it was going to be one of like four companies, exactly. you know, the Blue Aprons, the um, Casper Mattresses. Casper Mattresses, of course. Great Courses. Uh, great Courses, yeah. And yeah, all the hits, all the good ones. And <laughs> this is this is something that could be a weird experience for people who are listening. It was certainly, uh, it was certainly surreal for us at times on the other side of the microphone. Mm -hmm. But overall, this stuff ended up being good for our shows. And we didn't, we weren't in an Ovaltine position to have just one entity doing the underwriting because they had tremendous, they had a hundred percent creative control well, over the, the radio show. Yeah. Ovaltine not only did the underwriting and underwriting just literally means that you are a primary sponsor underwriting. It's a weird term. It just means that you are, you know, have a stake in the show and you are a sponsor yeah. of the show partially underwritten were. by, et cetera. They were doing the, the writing proper. Yeah. The advertising right. agency that was responsible for marketing Ovaltine, they actually wrote the Little Orphan Annie Radio Hour. Yeah, and then they were adding stuff in all to sell Ovaltine. They were making plot decisions. They said, okay, how do we, this very Edward Bernays approach. They were thinking, okay, you know, how do we, uh, how do we make this attractive to boys? We want boys drinking Ovaltine too. We got so much Ovaltine, we got to move all this Ovaltine. Uh, and then someone else is like, well, I don't know, boss, let's go, let's get her a sidekick. Let's say uh, a sidekick, uh, we'll call him Joe. That's a name. And uh, Joe, Joe Corntassel, he's, he's a sidekick. Boys uh, like hearing about themselves. So uh, they'll buy Ovaltine, too. And this uh, radio historians think that the big success of this for the Ovaltine company and for the story of Little Orphan Annie was that this was one of the first shows of its kind in this medium that had a child as a lead character. So it's almost like, taking a Christmas carol and now now it's from Tiny Tim's POV, mm -hmm. you know, and that's something kids can relate to. It's a brilliant idea and it spoke directly to kids who are also trying to navigate the weird stuff about the world of adults, which adults often keep hidden from children or attempt to. I mean, if you think about it, when you're a kid growing up, the world of adulthood is somewhat cryptic, is it not? 
not only is it cryptic, I mean, it's pretty depressing. I mean, this is, in fact, the Depression era in the United States. Parents were struggling to pay the bills, you know? I mean, it was a, it was a really tough time, and there was a lot of strife and anxiety, uh, and this gave the kids something to latch on to or sort of a protagonist that they could understand, but who was ultimately written by adults. So that filtered in all of these, like, again, we were talking about in the comic strip, it was much less politicized or political in the uh, radio show, uh, but there were adult issues that were kind of like woven into the narrative. The producers understood, uh, the Little Orphan Nanny producers understood, they had to kind of, you know, really tread lightly on this stuff, though, because they wanted to make sure that the kids were signing on because they were thrilled and, and enticed, but also that it wasn't offending their parents. The parents didn't think that they were being given too much information or it was too adult. Mm-hmm. Because after all, it was the parents that were buying the Ovaltine for the kids. It wasn't the kids that were buying it for themselves. So it was a very much a delicate balancing act they had to do once they realized what the stakes were. Especially considering that the show itself, each episode was only about 15 minutes long. <laughs> so you can tell what they're prioritizing here. Just for an example, uh, let's go back to that clip from the episode we played earlier, and let's play something for you at the very beginning. Here it is, 5.45 now, and time to hear more about the big new adventure that's starting for Orphan Annie and Simmons Corners. But first, if there are any of you boys and girls who don't like to drink milk, and your mother scolds you because you don't drink enough, don't forget what a wonderful help Ovaltine can be to you. Here's what you do. Instead of drinking your milk plain, ask your mother to let you have Ovaltine after this. Because Ovaltine turns plain milk into the keenest kind of a treat. So chocolatey looking and good, and it tastes even better than it looks. What's more, your mother will be glad to let you have all you want to drink. Because when you add Ovaltine, it greatly increases the food energy value of your milk. So we're several minutes into the program at this point, and what we just heard was a, an announcer who is not part of the story extolling the virtues of Ovaltine. Promising that it would give them pep. Yes, you know? pep, yeah. just so. And uh, and the thing is that if you look at a breakdown of how much time is spent telling a story versus telling people to buy Ovaltine, as much as one-third, like as much as five minutes of every 15 minutes was all about Ovaltine. And then some stuff went down with this orphan named Annie and her sidekick Joe. And a maybe a third of 15-minute episodes. So what is that? Tra- that's like... Yeah, it's like five minutes, so it's really only a 10-minute episode. That kind of tracks to roughly where we ended up uh, in the proper golden age of, like, primetime television, you know? I'd agree. A 30-minute episode of a show would really only end up being about 20 minutes. So maybe a little less than a third. I think it was 22 to 8. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but still, eight. right, they're definitely cutting into the time. And you could hear that on AM radio, too, for example. AM radio will often save its commercials for, like, a block that that feels very long. Uh, so this is clearly an advertising thing. It doesn't matter who the president is right now unless the president says something really cool or really mean about Ovaltine. If they did, then I'm sure that the writers would have little Annie rediscover her political um, consciousness. Well, because even though, like we said, they definitely scaled back the political stuff from that clip we heard. Again, they're talking about 
buying stock. You know, they're talking about like all of this kind of adult, you know, financial stuff that kids would never in a million years probably be privy to. So very, very interesting that some of that still carried over. And let's not forget that we are still in and around the Depression era. And so most families don't have unlimited, you know, expendable income to buy like sweets and treats. So they had to market this as something that was like, you know, good for your health. You know, it would give the kids the pep, you know, and like say things like, and do little orphan Annie a favor and, and tell your mom and dad to buy more Ovaltine. And so they, you know, you could argue that it was in, in some small ways like a supplement. I mean, that is how it's marketed now. If you look at the front of Ovaltine, it really leans into how many vitamins and minerals are in it and all of that good stuff. But we also know that milk ha- itself already has a lot of vitamins and, and minerals and, and, you know, calcium and all of that. Um, and, you know, to add something to milk that was costly probably would have been a tough sell to some parents if it wasn't for their kids just haranguing them about this, you know, and making it absolutely just not an option to not buy the stuff. There is, in fact, a a really great anecdote in the book, The Psychology of Radio by Hadley Cantrill and Gordon Allport, uh, where they talk about a seven-year-old kid named Andrew who loved, (laughs) in, in the context of the book, they say, whose favorite radio show, unnamed with a little heroine, Uh, who almost certainly was Annie, and was sponsored by a chocolate flavoring to be added to milk, which was, again, unquestionably Ovaltine. This is from a Smithsonian Magazine article uh, about American children facing great dangers in the 1930s. I believe the one they're referring to here is marketing. Right. And apparently the kid got so obsessed with this chocolate flavoring, not to be named, that he insisted that his mother buy it. And after she refused to buy it, he wouldn't drink milk anymore at all. After she decided that it wasn't worth the price. Um, and then there's the quote from the book. In vain does she suggest that Andrew derive his pep from ordinary cocoa, or at least from one of the less expensive preparations. Uh, Andrew wins his point by refusing to drink milk at all all without the costly addition. So again, parents do have an ax to grind here. This is some serious arm twisting that's going on on the part of their kids who are potentially being so stubborn that they could put their own, you know, health at risk. If you are to be, if it is to be believed that milk, you know, was such an important facet of kids growing up, which we now know isn't quite true either. Well, yeah, yeah. And shout out to the concerted ongoing conspiracies of the dairy industry. Um, maybe not so much the dairy industry. Big cheese, though, is a real thing. Check out Cheese Spiracy on Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast. Always be closing, gentlemen. So you you nailed it. Yeah, there's another thing they do that is incredibly clever. Uh, and again, this is the dark shadow of Bernays. It's... It, it would be described as a giveaway. So giveaway in air quotes. The announcer, Pierre Andre, that's the guy you heard do the Ovaltine ad just a few minutes ago, uh, would always tell these kids about giveaways. All you had to do was send in one dime and it had to be wrapped in the metal foil from under the lid of an Ovaltine can, you know, like the sealed for freshness kind of thing. You'd wrap the dime up in that. And if you sent it in, you could get things like mugs or buttons or booklets or badges, masks and blah, 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 all this other. Or decoder rings. Right. Merch and swag. Right. And a lot of other radio shows, to be fair, were doing this. They were offering, quote unquote, free items. But the deal is that they weren't really free because you're proving that you've bought this product, 
when you're sending this stuff in. It's just like sending in a wrapper or a box top. And Ovaltine, by far, according to Bruce Smith in History of Little Orphan Annie, gave away more items connected to this radio show than anyone else, any other radio show. Children would have to get box tops, labels. This happens in um, this happens in a Christmas story, and they would have to mail them in for, like you said, these Dakota rings, these toys, these tie-ins. It, it it does, and and you know the the Christmas story twist uh, being that the message that he decoded ended up being itself an advertisement wasn't really the way it would usually go. Thankfully, mm-hmm. to give them a little bit of credit, the idea was that this it was actually a pin. It was a decoder pin, and it was their most popular giveaway item. But in the show, it was almost like this way of having like an interactive element in the show. It would be little things where you, if you had to have the decoder pin to to you know decode it, uh, so you felt like you were in the know, you know. But it would be little clues about what would happen on next week's episode, right? Things like send help or Sandy is safe, you know, things like that. And it would be, you know, it would, it would give you this sense of like inclusion and like feeling like you were part of the adventure or like you know on her team. Yeah, you were in on it. You had knowledge that other folks, maybe even your parents, did not possess. And this decoder, yeah, you're right. It is technically a badge. Um, This was used pretty often. Another very clever thing they did was to conduct acts of planned obsolescence. This is planned obsolescence is when something is purposely made to not last forever such that a company can sell you the same thing, product or service again. So these decoder devices, these badges weren't good forever. You couldn't just get one. You had to get a new one like every year or so. Because if you would try to decode stuff with last year's badge, it wouldn't work. The labels had changed. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. 
could just be a me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. So this is brilliant because everything is centered on getting kids to sort of hold their parents emotionally hostage for more Ovaltine. And uh, it, it's a true story. What happens to Ralphie is based on a true story. And his desire for this to be a member of Annie's Mystery Radio Club or the Secret Circle is 100% something that really happened to kids. Maybe to some folks who were listening or were alive at at the same time. So let's talk about this. Like the kids needed to get their parents to move Ovaltine. Kids were also, the kids are just little human beings, right? They needed to keep up with the Joneses of the playground. You didn't want to be that last kid who got the decoder ring or got the decoder badge and was late. You know what I mean? You wanted to be in the zeitgeist. You want your finger on that malted milk pulse. So parents had to battle their kids over the grocery list. And there would be more and more giveaways, but you had to buy more and more Ovaltine to get them because they weren't really giveaways. And so parents thought, well, what if we start boycotting Ovaltine? Or what if we just boycott any company that is involved with a show that we don't like? Maybe we can influence its content. And that's why those advertising execs had that list of mustn'ts for the plots, right? They didn't want to do things that parents objected to content-wise. And broadcasters would listen to this and they would they would fall in line. The little orphan Annie Ovaltine overlords. That's a tongue twister. Sure little is. orphan Annie Ovaltine overlords. They would they would ultimately capitulate to the parents because they needed to keep that sweet, sweet guilty kid money coming in, you know? You know, and in, in the same way that <laughs> It was um, kind of up to the parents to maybe shield their kids from some of this, you know, influence some of these radio shows and make sure that they, you know, stuck to their their schoolwork and that they, you know, give like 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 you think today, like you can have X number of hours of TV a week and that's it and blah, 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 blah. There was a certain amount of like weak-willed parenting that was going on as evidenced by the anecdote about the kid who essentially browbeat his mother into, you know, getting him Ovaltine or else he refused to, he's like, I'll starve before I don't drink my chocolatey flavored milk. And clearly the advertisers capitalized on that. There's an article in Newsweek on the December of 1934, saying if a weak-willed mother should buy all these prize box tops, her grocery budget would swell to at least $2 a week, or about $35.50 today. And uh, this boycott that you mentioned, Ben, I think, you know, they took note, right? At the very least, they decided, okay, maybe if we're going to, we're in this for the long haul, maybe we should tone down the rhetoric a little bit and give these parents a break uh, because they're really starting to hate us. Uh, At the end of the day, we need them to be on our side. So by the end of the 30s, all those cliffhangers that caused kids to be like just, you know, out of their minds with worry until the next episode came, well, those were toned down quite a bit. And this actually might have kind of begun the end of the beginning of this era of, of you know, ubiquitous uh, child-directed advertising. Yeah, well, that's the thing, though, because by toning down those cliffhangers and those dark, mysterious, sinister events, they were also removing some of the appeal that I had to children, to this young audience. The style of advertising, though, as you pointed out, still remained, and it hasn't gone away since. So what we see here is a precedent set 
Just like young Ralphie in A Christmas Story, we learn the true cost of a free giveaway. And we've got to, I don't know, there's so much to unpack here because it's like the story of Little Orphan Annie is much more than what you find in the musical, especially when you get backstage and you see that she is a political metaphor. And in a way, she's a defier of gender stereotypes. She's also a corporate mascot um, through the puppet strings of the folks over at Ovaltine. You know, I was thinking about, I was trying to have a modern what if, and we can probably find a better one. But my first thought is, what if Wendy from Wendy's had like the most popular weekly show on HBO and a third of it, a third of the plot, every every episode, no matter what, involved having to go to Wendy's and be knowledgeable of the newest stuff on the menu. Mm. Also, Wendy's released a mixtape, and I'm going to be honest with you, if you like hip-hop, it slaps. I did not want it to be good. It is good. Wendy's been doing a pretty good job on their like social media game for quite some time. All, a lot of those fast food brands have. They even have like feuds from time to time. You got to wonder uh, if they are uh, manufactured, but they're certainly Oh my effective. God, I got Ovaltine. I got Ovaltine. As soon as we end the episode, I'm going to listen to the Wendy's mixtape again. Resting Grease, also known as We Beefin'. It's a diss track for, I think, McDonald's. That's I got to so send funny. this to you guys. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to check it out. <laughs> no, it's true. And I mean, you know, a lot of the cues, as we know um, from marketing, uh, the, the lessons learned, you know, from this uh, era. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't be, you can't overplay your hands when it comes to marketing. And I think Ovaltine realized that. Uh, but it's also still around. So, yeah, they clearly did an okay job in, in pivoting and bobbing and weaving with the times, you know. And the, the comic strip itself, went on until 2010. Mm-hmm. That's wild to me. But this, what a, what a strange, what a strange ride. Uh, we also know that there is a new, I, I believe there's a new Annie musical adaptation that's either out now or there came is. out. Yeah. Have you, have you guys seen it? Is it out yet? I, I saw a commercial for it either last night or the night before. I think it's coming up. I don't think it's out okay. yet. Okay. Well, with that in mind, you know, everybody, I think the, the, point of this two-part series as we draw to a close here is simply this ridiculous history is brought to you by ovaltine collect your ovaltine box tops and send us stuff i might have missed the larger point no i wish i wish we had prepared a little more we could have given you some sort of cryptic message to decode how do they do it wasn't it just like b3 like bingo results kind of like x7 you know like t9 things like that that would make sense because it would have to be something that you couldn't solve unless you had a codex with you, you know, because if they tried pig Latin, people would have broke it. If they tried some like um, alphabet based cryptographical approach, somebody could have broken it. It would have to be something where you had just a it depended on the cipher that the audience possessed. Right, I'm trying to avoid getting too into the idea of cryptography because that that itself is a whole nother mess of spaghetti, whole nother bag of badgers. Oh man! But and there's so many. They made so many of them, Ben. Yeah. That you can uh, you can buy yourself one on eBay today for just around thirty five to fifty bucks. They are, they are, look like a little sheriff's badge almost. And the most pricey one that I see right up front is one that includes the uh, actual mailer that it came in with the actual envelope and the addresses on it and the stamps. That one's 150 bucks. But in general, uh, it appears you can get 
you can get you one of these. And it is exactly as we described, Ben. It's just a circle. That's the codex with like a ring of letters and then an interior ring with numbers. Crazy, crazy stuff, you know, and and just for if we could get a quick inflation calculator, let's do this. It's a reverse inflation calculator. Zip zap, zoop Wonderful, wonderful work, gentlemen. Uh, Fifty dollars in 1936, by the way, would be the equivalent of. $994.92 today. All right. Well, I think uh, Daddy Warbucks would be proud. Daddy Warbucks would be proud, yes. And we are, as always, super uh, grateful and proud for the opportunity to explore these ridiculous stories uh, with you today, folks. Uh, also, this one was a two-parter to us because it hits on so many themes that are applicable in the modern day, dare I say it, maybe to some parents who are feeling some, you know, a little bit of stress from their kids who need to have the thing. And it can't be a thing like the thing. It has to be that thing, specifically that. Oh, you yeah. Know, it can't be, can't be a Cuddle Me Grover. It's got to no. be a Tickle Me Elmo. No, no, that's not going to fly. Well, let us know what your coveted childhood item was. Uh, and do you like Ovaltine? Do you, do you cream of wheat? That was another big one. Remember, we, we, yeah. haven't, we didn't even get into it, but around this time, or I guess a little later, that's when we got into things like the craft, you know, television, you know, hour or whatever. Craft, like the Colgate hour. The Colgate hour, exactly. You know, but all of those, that they were always a single sponsor. A lot of them were done live and they, you know, constantly bounced back to whoever the spokesperson was in a separate little shooting scenario in the studio with like boxes of the thing behind them. So let us know if you're from that era, what you remember fondly. I mean, because honestly, nowadays we just wouldn't put up with that. It's, it's a little much, even though with the streaming and the podcasting, like we were talking about earlier, we are in a weird new space where advertising has kind of gotten clunky and weird again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same as it ever was. And it is sort of a renaissance in that way. You're right, because a new technology has entered the playing field. And what will the future bring? Well, hopefully we'll be with you to explore it together. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Thanks to Casey Pegram. Thanks to our own little orphan Annie, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. Or is he more of a Daddy Warbucks, you think? He is quite bald. Um, as is Daddy wow. Warbucks. But, you know, if he were a little orphan Annie figure, I mean, he's got his dog Tybalt, which would be his trusty companion for solving mysteries. Oh, good call. Yeah, and and I'll say it, uh, he has a lovely singing voice. He does. It's very true. I don't know. I, I feel like he's more of like the sidekick, though. Fair enough. A Joe Corntassel? Yeah, he's a Joe Corntassel completely. Okay. He would, he would uh, ooh, he would uh, wrinkle at, uh, at that second... Second fiddle status, but we'll see. We'll we'll get with his agent. We'll see what he we'll see what he prefers. Um, also, as always, huge thanks to Alex Williams who composed our theme. Christopher Hasiotis and Eve's Jeff Coates here in spirit, and to you, Ben. I'm not sure which of us is which, but between the two of us, we make a hell of a team for solving uh, uh, you know ridiculous <laughs> history mysteries and you know uh, beating down the man. Uh, let's do a Hardy Boys. Oh, we'll do a Hardly Boys, so we don't get sued. Love it. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills, into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com.